Stanford University. The Human Experience. Inside the Humanities at Stanford University. humanexperience.stanford.edu. Like everybody here, um, I'm very excited about uh, the ways in which we're trying to get humanists into the technology industry because obviously humanity's thinking is essential to the industry. Um, but I'm not going to talk about how you can get a job at Google. I want to talk about how you can go the other way. Um, I'm here to tell you why you should quit your technology job and go get a humanities PhD, um, or at least to tell you why I did that. Um, so how does somebody become a technologist in the first place? It's a strange thing to be. Um, it happened to me in college, specifically when I was a sophomore, a frustrated sophomore. I went to Columbia, where there's an excellent core curriculum. As an undergrad, you read the classics, um, or what was once unrepentantly called the classics, um, and you directly confront great questions of Western thought. Um, I really wanted to understand what great thinkers have thought about the great questions, you know, what life is about, the human condition, um, how to manage our affairs, all of this. Um, problem was that we didn't seem to be making much progress. Um, you know, the great questions of philosophy have a way of eluding simple answers. Um, that's part of why they're so great. Um, so confronting them, we all seem like such feeble thinkers, students and teachers and dead white males alike. Um, we make mistakes, we're prone to inconsistencies, we equivocate, we can't just see what follows from what. Um, that's frustrating to an impatient undergraduate. In my case, happily, fate intervened. Um, fate in the form of my mother, who told me, in no uncertain terms, I should take a computer science course so that no matter what happens, I can get a job at the phone company afterwards. Um, <laughs> so in my sophomore year, I learned to program a computer. Um, and that's an intoxicating experience. Um, not like college party intoxicating or romantic poetry intoxicating, um, a little more Faustian. Um, it's the intoxication of power. Um, when you learn to program a computer, you learn a superpower, the ability to make an inanimate object follow your command. If you have a vision and you can articulate it in code, you can make it real, you can summon it forth on your machine. Um, and once you've experienced building a few small systems to do clever tasks, handwriting recognition, or summarizing a news article, you think maybe I could build a system that could do any task. And that's, of course, the holy grail of artificial intelligence, or AI. So I, um, <clears throat> for the next decade, I thought that would be my single pursuit artificial intelligence, um, the great hope, right, the panacea, um, the escape from the frustrations of thinking. Um, that's how I became a technologist. Um, got my first grad degree at AI, um, doing, at MIT doing AI work, uh, then became a technology consultant, um, and then uh, built several startup companies. Um, and it turns out it's kind of fun to be a technologist because you can parlay this creative power you have, creating these digital doodads, into societal power. Um, and that uh, whenever you build something that some people find useful, that leads to validation that you're making the world a better place. And as a consequence, well, um, as we learned earlier from SEP, that means you can do things like start your own company, raise millions of dollars, buy Porsches, hire a lot of people, and loose your technologies on the world. Um, so that's pretty much where I found myself a decade ago, a technologist with a high-paying technology job doing cutting-edge AI research um, and living the technotopian good life. Um, so what could be wrong with that? Um, well, if you are at all disposed to question what you see around you, there start to appear some cracks in the bubble. Um, 
In my case, over time it became increasingly hard to fail to recognize that the artificial intelligence systems I was building weren't that intelligent. They can perform tolerably well on a tolerably small set of tasks a tolerable amount of the time, um, but if anything changes in their environment, they simply break. Um, they don't actually understand what they're doing, of course. Um, I came to realize that while I set out to build a better thinker, all I'd really done was build a bunch of clever toys, um, toys which don't really reflect the nature of thought. Um, and they're certainly not up to the task of being our intellectual surrogates. It was also clear that the limitations of our AI systems would not be eliminated through incremental improvement. Um, we were not and are not on the brink of a breakthrough that can produce much more powerful systems approaching human intelligence. I wanted to better understand why that was. What was it about how we were defining intelligence that was leading us astray? What were we failing to understand about thought in our attempts to build a thinking machine? Well, after some time, uh, perhaps longer than it should have taken, I realized that these questions I was wondering about in my technology work were philosophical questions. Um, the nature of thought, the structure of language, the grounds of meaning. So if as a technologist, I really hope to make major progress in AI, the best place to do this wouldn't be another AI lab. If I really wanted to build a better thinker, I should go study philosophy, which is a bit ironic because my motivation to get into AI in the first place was to bring clarity to AI debates and now, um, or the other way around. I got into AI to bring clarity to philosophy debates and now, um, Philosophy was needed to save our fledgling, failing AI projects. Um, so about a decade ago, I quit my technology job to get a philosophy PhD. Um, and that was one of the best decisions I've made in my life. Uh, I've seldom been so happy as when I set foot on a university campus again, this university campus actually, um, a newly minted grad student after years in industry, I loved it. My job now was to learn as much as I could about subjects I found compelling. Um, and I was focused on my job because since I wasn't an undergrad, I had fewer extracurricular misadventures. Um, so, so what did I learn? I can admit now that when I started grad school, I didn't actually have a clue exactly how the humanities investigated the subjects I was interested in. I knew a thing or two about cognitive science, about how linguistics and psychology model our cognitive affairs. But I had not even been aware that there existed distinct branches of analytic and continental philosophy which took radically different approaches to exploring thought and language, or that there was a discipline of rhetoric, or hermeneutics, or literary theory, where there are thinkers who see different sides of how we create meaning and make sense of our world. Um, but I learned of these things. And as I learned more about them, it became clear just how limited my technologist worldview had been. I learned how the logic-based, quantifiable, individualistic, ahistorical, that is, computational view I had of cognition, failed to account for whole expanses of cognitive experience. Um, including, say, most of Shakespeare. Um, I learned how to recognize social influences on inquiry itself, to see the inherited methodologies of science, the implicit power relations expressed in writing, and how those shape our knowledge. Most strikingly, I learned that there are historical precedents for exactly the sort of logical oversimplifications which characterized my AI work. Indeed, there are even precedents for my motivation in embarking in that work in the first place. I found these in episodes ranging from ancient times, um, Plato's fascination with math-like forms as a source of timeless truth, to the 20th century, the logical positivists and the quest to create unambiguous language to express sure foundations for all knowledge. They too had an uncritical notion of progress, and they too struggled in their attempts to formally quantify human concepts, which I now see as inextricably bound up with human concerns and practices. I want to emphasize that in learning the limits of my technologist worldview, I didn't just get a few handy ideas about how to build better AI systems, 
my studies opened up a new outlook on the world. I learned tools, vocabularies, paradigms. I would unapologetically characterize it as a personal intellectual transformation, a renewed appreciation for the elements of life that are not scientifically understood or technologically engineered. Um, I became interested in philosophy for its own sake. That's how I became a humanist. Of course, I still do technology work. Um, it's a good complement to the life of the mind, and it's satisfying to build products that people use and appreciate. Um, and I find that I'm a better technologist now than I was before my degree. I'm better now because my humanistic sensibility has evolved. I no longer see the world through the eyes of a machine, through just the things that we can reduce to their logical foundations. Um, so what does this mean concretely in my daily technology work? Um, I no longer assume machines can solve all of our problems for us. Instead, I look for ways that technology can facilitate human problem solving. I no longer assume that I know what's best for my users or that they share my interests. Um, my teams, as Marissa says, do user research throughout the product development process, try to understand the activities and concerns of the people who use what we do. It's a form of applied cultural anthropology. Um, and I no longer assume we can solve a problem in isolation. I'm more aware of how the products we build shape the culture that we're in over long time scales, and I'm more attuned to the ethical implications of those decisions. Um, I want to give one concrete example of this shift in approach, um, and that's at my last technology startup called Aardvark. Um, we took a totally new approach to the problem of search. We created what we called a social search engine. Um, when you have a question, we'll connect you to another person to get a live answer from them instead of returning a list of web pages. This arose from thinking about the human needs that people have when they have questions. Instead of defining a query as an information retrieval problem, we treat it like an invitation to a human engagement. Um, Aardvark's been very successful, uh, people love using it, and it's now given me the opportunity to participate in a broader project of organizing the world's information at Google. Um, not a bad return on a few years of hard intellectual labor. But that's, that's enough about me. I want to talk about you and why you should quit your technology job and get a humanities PhD. Um, maybe you two are disposed towards critical thinking. Maybe despite the comfort, compensation, security that your job offers, you've noticed cracks in the bubble. Um, maybe it's the marketing. Maybe you're worn out by the endless platitudes of the endless benefits of our products and you're not at ease with your contribution to the broader culture industry. Maybe it's the oversimplifications in the product itself. What exactly is the relationship created by friending someone online? How can your profile capture the full glory of your performance of self? Um, maybe you're cautious about the impact of technology. You're startled that our social entertainment websites are playing major roles in global revolutions. You wonder how these tools, like any weapons, might be used for evil as well as good. And you're reluctant to engage in the cultural imperialism that a distribution of a technology arguably entails. Um, or maybe you're just bored at your desk job. If you've ever wondered about any of these topics, and since there's more to the story, you're correct. Any of these subjects could be the topic for a humanities dissertation. Um, issues facing us today with the advances in technology, issues of identity, communication, control, regulation, these require a humanistic perspective if we're to address them adequately. What if you actually took on one of these challenges? What if you made one of them your issue, your cause, your profession? If you actually care about one of these topics, if you want to do something more serious than just swap opinions over the dinner table about it, you're in luck because you can. And I'd venture that you must. Who else is going to take responsibility for getting it right? Do you expect someone else to do the hard thinking for you? When you decide to start a humanities degree, you'll find it incredibly rewarding. You'll be in a place where it's your job to ask hard questions. You'll have license to explore the whole story. And if you take up the challenge, 
You'll have the satisfaction of actually penetrating deeply into the heart of a subject where you might find yourself capable of truly excellent thought. I see a humanities degree as nothing less than a rite of passage to intellectual adulthood, a way of evolving from sophomoric wanderer and critic into a rounded, open, engaged intellectual citizen. Um, there is, regrettably, one more issue of a less lofty nature that I have to address. Because um, even if you're moved by this unguarded rhapsodizing and you're on the verge of signing up for a PhD program, um, what you're also thinking is, how will I pay for this? Um, you imagine for a moment the prospect of spending half a decade in a library, and you can't help but calculate the opportunity cost, um, and it seems like pathological financial irresponsibility. Um, but I can't seriously entertain this objection. Would you really value your mortgage more than the life of the mind? What's the point of your comfortable living if you don't know what the humanities have taught us about living well? If you already have a job in the technology industry, you are already significantly more wealthy than the vast majority of our planet's population. You already have enough. No matter how bad the economy is, you're the lucky ones. With your background and education and experience, you will never fall into poverty or subsistence living. Um, suppose in the very worst case, you decide to return to industry and find you've fallen off the fast track and can't get your dream technology job. Even then, you could always fall back on some more pedestrian, less glamorous work like slinging HTML at Facebook or something. <laughs> but, but since we're on the subject of career prospects, um, I want to tell you that getting a humanities PhD is not only not a danger to your employability, in fact, it's quite the opposite. I believe there's little you can do which would be a surer path to dramatically leaping forward in your career. Um, because the thought leaders in our industry are not the ones who plotted dully, step by step, up the career ladder. They're the ones who took chances and developed unique perspectives. I believe that getting a humanities PhD is the most deterministic path you can find to becoming exceptional in industry. It's no longer just engineers who dominate our technology leadership, because it's no longer the case that computers are so mysterious that only engineers can understand what they're capable of. There's an industry-wide shift towards more product thinking in leadership, leaders who understand the social and cultural implications of the products they're deploying. At the end of the day, our products must appeal to human beings, and a rigorously cultivated humanistic sensibility is a valued asset for this challenge. I see it as a convenient truth. You go into the humanities to pursue your intellectual passion, and it just so happens, as a byproduct, that you emerge as a desired commodity for industry, such as the halo of human flourishing. Thank you. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.